Thank you so much, Deb, for using your gift to honor and glorify God. That was absolutely beautiful. Uh, just a little note, uh, part of our family note, um, Josh, is Josh still in the sanctuaries here? There he is. Do you know Josh just graduated with his Master's of Divinity from Fuller Theological uh, Seminary? That is no easy task. Can we... Is it still 144 credits? It's $70,000, 144 credits. That is nothing to shake a stick at. That is an accomplishment. Be praying for Josh as he, uh, this beautiful moment in his life is that's a sense of accomplishment and a release into the next season of his life. I don't want to start out our, our series uh, by bragging at all. However, I did uh, receive perhaps the, the best uh, Father's Day gift this morning. Just uh, something from my son was back from. And uh, it was the best dad in the galaxy right there. Great, we got a picture of that. That was not, no, it was, uh, yeah, so I thought I'd preach on that. Actually, we are starting a new series, our summer series on Nehemiah, and I do want to start this, I, I felt led to start the series with a confession, a, a true confession, not, uh, not joking around. Uh, actually, it's a, a confession on my part that I think I've been judgmental um, to, towards a number of leaders um, within the church for, for several years. Um, I, I do feel a uh, certain measure that, um, that a number of leaders have made an idol out of this thing we call leadership. And, uh, and I have been somewhat uh, judgmental towards those leaders. And in fact, um, I, it's caused me to pull away from all leadership discussion. But in conferences, um, and they've talked about the best business practices and, and applying them to church, and, and it, it sounds very pious now, but um, to me, I was like, I don't want to be the best CEO, I want to follow Jesus. That sounds pious, doesn't it? Um, and it was. It was uh, not a healthy way. I remember, uh, you know, uh, being at a pa pastor's conference and, and one pastor saying, I read leadership books until I throw up because what the church needs is leadership. And in my pious way, it's like, no, the church needs Jesus and the Holy Spirit and ministry and all that, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> amen to my judgmentalism, Yes. <laughs> So now I do believe that there's a danger and I do think some of the church has led uh, to an idolatry of leadership, but I think it's cost me. I think I've pulled away and I don't think I'm as good a leader today as I could have been if I would have in those times humbly heard the principles of leadership and applied them to my life, right? So that, that's not, not joke, joking around, that's a, a real true uh, statement. So just in the last several years saying, I, I need to get off my high horse. 
That's not a godly position. That's not a position that, that God honors. And I need to learn what leadership uh, is all about. And, and I, I need to press in uh, to not um, best business practices of the world, though I think we can learn some things humbly from those things. But we need to press into godly leadership. That's my longing and desire. Whether it's our families, whether it's um, our marriages, whether it's parenting, uh, whether it's uh, leadership in strong relationships, best friends, whether it's leadership in the workplace, um, at whatever level, whether it's leadership in the church, whatever that is, there's all God is inviting us to reflect his godly leadership and honor him in those ways. And so as we uh, begin this morning, I'd really like, I'm going to, to start saying, hey, I'm gonna do my best to get off my high horse. And I wanna learn from the Lord the, the kind of leader that he wants me to be. I'm gonna press in and say, Lord, how would you uh, direct me and my leadership? What will be hallmarks of my leadership? Over 25 years ago, I became captivated with this book that we're going to uh, walk through over the next several weeks, the book of Nehemiah. And it's it's an ancient book tucked way back into the Old Testament. And and really, it's a book about an individual, about Nehemiah at a particular time in the kingdom of God, that at at this time, the kingdom of God, um, in terms of Jerusalem, a physical place, and all the, the walls were still burned down, the gates were burned down, Jerusalem was in rubble, and... God tapped Nehemiah on the shoulder and said, I want you to lead in the rebuilding and the restructuring within my kingdom this day. And I've been captivated. I would say outside of Jesus, of course, Nehemiah demonstrates the most godly and effective leadership in all of scripture outside of Jesus. That, now that's quite a statement, I, maybe you d- disagree with that. But, but to look at his life, to look at his heart, to look at his words, to look at how he handled situations, whether internal conflict or external conflict, to, to see that, I, I, I trust that the Lord wants to be working in significant ways in our lives. Just a few, before we turn, you might wanna turn to the table of contents and find uh, Nehemiah. It's a little bit hard to find, um, but there's uh, Bibles located in in front of you. And as you turn and find that book, um, here's three ways that I'm hoping that the Lord disciples us and matures us is one is I believe that he wants us, who, regardless of who we are, to build a deep and radical reliance on him. 
that no matter who we are, my wife, one of the books that she has on her nightstand is Radical Reliance by Joseph Stoll. And, and just this reliance. And you're going to see from page one, really word one, that Nehemiah, he had ascended to this position of influence. He was already in this position of leadership. And yet we see his heart this very morning. We're going to see his heart that he was a man who deeply relied on his God. I hope that the Lord teaches us about faith, about prayer, about trusting God that he, when we give our lives to him in prayer, that he will order our steps as he wants us to. And he invites us into this radical reliance on his purposes, his direction, his guidance. A second thing I'm, I'm hoping that the Lord, and maybe tune your ears in, is, is I do believe that there's a lot of leadership principles uh, that would, are, are godly leadership, effective leadership. When I, when I think of godly leadership, here's three of the words that I think of. I think the Lord wants to work in us a wisdom a wisdom to be wise leaders in whatever sphere of influence that we have, that we are to be leaders that lead with not just worldly wisdom, but ultimately with godly wisdom and applying that. I do believe that God wants to raise up leaders within his church that we would have an influence not an influence for worldly things, not an influence for our own glorification, but to influence people according to the purposes of God. That he wants to use us, we're gonna see this in a profound ways in the chapters that unfold, that he wants to use us, that God is on the move, God is at work, he is building his kingdom, and for whatever crazy reason, he uses ordinary people like you and me. Whether it's an individual life, or it's an organization, he wants to use us to influence lives and organizations and institutions according to his good purposes. And then finally, boldness. I think that reflects, there's, yes, there's a humility that we'll see in Nehemiah and yet a profound boldness on his part as it uh, um, un, unfolds, the story unfolds. And then finally, um, this, I'm hoping that we'll get is that we will build the walls of your life. This was happening uh, centuries ago, and it was the walls of Jerusalem. Um, that was in the Old Covenant. I think we define the advancement of the kingdom of God in significant and different ways. So we're going to use the walls of Jerusalem, what Nehemiah is planning on doing. We're going to use that as a metaphor for our lives. You see, Jerusalem was in a dangerous state, vulnerable to the enemies surrounding uh, countries, nations around them. They're in a very vulnerable state. 
And as I was praying through this, really want us to use that sense that I believe that many of us, our lives are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And that the Lord would have us build up um, a, a holiness and a wholeness. He would have us build up faith, healthy relationships, healthy rhythms in our lives, healthy character, healthy decision-making process, all these things to build up protective godly walls. Because the enemy will come, right? The enemy will attack, especially as we lead and have influence. He will seek to bring us down. And if we're vulnerable, that does not bode well for a life honoring of God. So what would it look like to build the walls of our lives for God's kingdom work? So it's a tall task for our summer series, right? I think we need to pray. Let's pray. So Father, we do give you the summer series in the book of Nehemiah. Lord, we are so thankful that you are a God that does not want to leave us where we are at. But you want to build us deep within us, our, our character, our heart, our skills, our gifts. Lord, our, our resistance to temptation. Lord God, our, our, our risk-taking, our faith. You want to, to build our faith. Lord, would you take this amazing story of your servant Nehemiah so many years ago and would you apply it to our lives today? Would you teach us Holy Spirit? Lord, would you miraculously take my sometimes fumbling words and use them for your glory and your honor and your praise. Amen. All right, I gave you a super long time to find the book of uh, Nehemiah. All right, you got it there? So just a little bit of historical context. What happened in, the, in Nehemiah's time or, or uh, generations before is Israel had broken into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern Judah. And God had warned them, they are his covenant people. And he said, if you disobey, if you break my covenant, then I will, uh, I will allow foreign nations to conquer you and destroy you, and bring you into exile. And he said this again and again and again, and the people of Israel continued to rebel, 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 rebel. That's why the, the prophets in the Old Testament were so angry so often, right? Because the people were not listening and obeying. And so finally, after all of these warnings, they were conquered. In 722 BC, a long time ago, 722 BC, the uh, nation of Assyria enters in and conquers uh, the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom lasted for a while, but ultimately they were disobedient, and God raised up the Babylonian nation, King Nebuchadnezzar. In 586 BC, he conquers Jerusalem, the city of David. He destroys the temple, the, the very presence of God among his people, burns all the walls and the gates and, and, the, and the city of God, Jerusalem, is, is in crumbles, is in ruin. 
But God was not done with his covenant people. That would not be his last word, praise God, right? And so he said, I will keep a remnant. And actually, I believe Jeremiah said, for 70 years will be judgment. But then after that 70 years, the remnant will start to come back. And they did. The, the book before Nehemiah is the book of Ezra. And that tells the story of uh, really two leaders, uh, Ezra and Zerubbabel. And um, they begin to lead the people back to the city of David. And they actually rebuild the temple, the, the heart of their, their identity, God's presence in their midst. But they have the temple there, but the walls, it's still, they're still in a vulnerable place. And then seven, several years later, uh, 445 BC, is we pick up the story of God's people in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. So this is 445 BC. Uh, Susa was the capital of the, the Persian uh, uh, nation. They had, uh, Medo-Persia nation had conquered Babylon. And then those leaders began to say, um, led by the Spirit of God, even though they were not uh, part of the Jewish people, they, they uh, put out decrees that the Jewish people could begin to return to Jerusalem and rebuild and restore God's work. Okay? Verse 2. Hananiah, one of my brothers, probably a, a blood brother of Nehemiah, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and distress. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard this, these things, Nehemiah, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, now we're going to look at his prayer in just a moment. I just want to note two things. Right away, we see Nehemiah's heart. I believe the the heart of the godly leader is the heart aligned with God. That, that his heart, his heart was, he is, we'll learn later that he is in this plush position. He is the cup bearer of the king, um, uh, King Artaxerxes. And, and, and so he's interviewing, so he's hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, right? He's in Susa. And yet he has his brother and some other leaders and he asks, how is Jerusalem? What's the state of the people? And all those things. And, and when they say, um, we're in disgrace, disgrace, we're vulnerable, we're in this difficult place, he doesn't go, ooh, that is a bummer. I'm gonna pray for you. What does he do? He mourns. He weeps. He cries out. He's still in a, 
you know, a nice position with himself. But his heart is so aligned with the things of God that the, the report of disgrace strikes him, strikes his soul, and he feels it in his bones. He said, if I want to be a godly leader, my heart has to be aligned with the things of God. There's a number of ways in which I, I, I think we can start to align. If we are out of alignment with our heart, we can start to align. Is, is one is, if we're gonna be in, aligned with God's heart, we've got to see beyond our own needs, beyond our own lives, beyond our immediate circumstance that we're never gonna align our hearts if it's all about us. It's gotta be a key moment. This is a hard one, right? Because we're, we're at our core, we're all selfish, right? We get up in the morning and what do we think about? Our lives, our stuff, right? Our need, yeah? And yet, Nehemiah has a heart He's not even thinking about himself. He's thinking about the things of God. He, he's, he's, his vision is well beyond his present circumstances. He's thinking about the kingdom of God. He's thinking of the glory of God. He's thinking of the people of God. He sees this beyond himself. Not an easy task to do. You know, there's a few ways. I don't know how many of you get this prayer list that we put together every Sunday as you do uh, prayers we put that in there and then at the end we have our missionaries that are there and we also the the prayer team puts in another nation and its spiritual needs and this simple practice has allowed me to pray beyond my family and, and kids beyond church and all those things uh, to our missionaries and, and to nations because I'm trying to tra teach my heart to see how God sees this world, to, to see the needs and, and, and the kingdom of God and how it's being lived out today. I wasn't with you last week because I was with the, uh, our denomination in something called General Synod. I guess it's a morning of confession. <laughs> I've been super judgmental towards our denomination. It's not a joke, it's true. I dislike, is that, that's bad to say that I confess that. There's a lot of things our denomination is a, is a mainline denomination, Reformed Church of America. Do you know that almost every mainline denomination, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, Reformed, we've been in decline in the United States for my entire lifetime. 50 years, right? Have you ever prayed has your heart ever been broken for the state of Christianity in this nation? Right? Have you ever, I, it's so much easier to be judgmental, isn't it? 
and remove yourself. And, and yet to, to, to long and, and feel God's heart for his glory and his honor and for people. Does it ever affect you that, that the idea of atheism is growing? That this category, they call it nuns, not in the Catholic nuns, but in the uh, nuns in terms of no affiliation with a particular Christian faith, that, that thou, those categories are growing in our nation. Do you ever align your heart with God in terms of the nation and the denominations that are trying to reach out? In a very practical sense, do you pray for the needs of this congregation? Right, a little bit beyond, I, I, I think, I, I just bring this up because I think our mentality of church is very different. We, we find of church that will meet our needs rather than saying, Lord, what are you doing in this place? What are the ways in which you're working? How can I align my prayers and my life? with this community of faith. All those things, aligning our heart with how God sees the world, our nation, our denomination, our community of church, those are all, our community of faith, all of those things are aligning our heart with the things of God. I would say this too, that we personally connect with God's kingdom work. Again, Nehemiah was hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. He wasn't vulnerable, right? He, was, he had this plush job, and yet he personally connects with what is taking place in terms of God's kingdom. He, he weeps, he mourns, he pra, uh, fasts and prays. There's a Christian author, Palmer Chechen, he was talking about um, a special way that the Hebrew people, uh, the Orthodox Jews still today practice this, but how they oftentimes deal with pain and loss and grief. They call it Shiva, which means uh, seven or sits of seven. When there is a death and the close family members come together, the father, the mother, the brothers, sisters, sons and daughters, spouses, they come together and they sit. But they don't do it alone. All their friends and family come and sit with them. And they sit until healing begins. They sit because they want to know that the person who, who's hurt and wounded, they want to know that they're not alone in their sorrow. They sit together for seven days. And here's what the author says is his favorite part. Everyone in the community comes on the seventh day and they walk with them around the block. The subtle message is this. You can begin to live again. We know you're hurt. We hurt with you. But you can heal again. Amazing to take the time, the, the space. That's so sacrificial, right? It's selfless, right? To, to take the space, to, to feel the pain, to journey with 
And then begin the, the process of rebuilding and healing and restoration. I see Nehemiah in this beautiful way. We're going to read his prayer in just a moment. But he sits with God. And he mourns the things of God. And he's stirred deeply. And he fasts. When's the last time you fasted not over a personal need, but a thing of God's kingdom. When's the last time that you, you mourn and sat with God for a need that's beyond your life, but for his kingdom? That's what Nehemiah does here. And as Nehemiah does that, the, the, the final thing he does is he, um, he asks God if he has a role to play, that he might be the answer to his own prayers as he prays for the things of God. We won't see that this week, but next week we'll see that God said, yep, Nehemiah, you're the man. You're hundreds of miles away, but you, I've given you a position of influence. And that position of influence, Nehemiah discerns in prayer, was not about him, but was to take that influence and use it for the kingdom of God. There is a, a, a prayer some of you might be familiar with. It's from... Sir Francis Drake, he was a famous explorer. I guess he like kind of discovered and named California or that, uh, um, that area and from England. And there is recorded, not sure uh, if it is completely historically accurate. I tried to think, I, I think it is, but regardless, it's a pretty sweet prayer. It's called the prayer of disturbance. I did uh, put it in your bulletin and let me read it to you. This was his prayer. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little. When we arrived safely because we have sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. I love that. We've ceased to dream of eternity. In our efforts to build, uh, and in our efforts to build a new earth, the kingdom of God, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture out on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. Where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizon of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, in courage, in hope, in love. Does that sound like a dangerous prayer? Yeah, that's still not going to stop me to challenge you to pray this. 
Bring this home and say, God, maybe we've been too comfortable. God, maybe we've uh, become too selfish. Maybe our vision of your kingdom work, of heaven coming to earth, maybe we've allowed that to dim and we don't have the passion and the fire and the longing for your glory and your honor and your praise. We've been too distracted by our jobs, our kids, our lives. We've lost that first love for you. That's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? Nehemiah was praying that. He was praying. He was moved by the things of God. Now, let's, uh, let's take a look just finally at his prayer. It's a, it's a beautiful prayer. In fact, it's a... It's a model prayer. You can use this as somewhat of an outline of a prayer um, in your daily prayer life. Because the, the, the second principle of leadership, I would say, is that a godly leader prays first and acts second. A godly leader is a, is a woman or man of prayer. Deep and abiding prayer. Verse five, Nehemiah records, then I said, he starts with a prayer of adoration. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servant, for your servant's the people of Israel. Nehemiah is praying day and night. I confess, moves from adoration to confession. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, now he's going to recall some covenant promises um, to probably Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 30. Nehemiah is a man who knows the word of God. And he prays these covenants. If you are, uh, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. We will talk about that next week. King 
Artaxerxes, he's gonna take a huge risk of going before the king and making a request, and so he's praying a petition. A, a few words about Nehemiah's prayer. He begins with adoration. He begins that prayer. Many of you know that um, I pray the Lord's, outline, uh, the Lord's Prayer in outline form that's become the cornerstone uh, of my spiritual life. And you know how, you remember how the Lord's Prayer begins? Our Father who art in heaven. It's a prayer of adoration. Jesus said begin that way. And it's a beautiful prayer of adoration because it's talking about the intimacy of God the Father. It's talking about that close relationship and yet the holiness that he is God, that we, we, we pray that adoration. We did that this morning. Did you hear that? Do you think that it would affect your life if you began each day with prayers of adoration? Absolutely, absolutely. That I, I've sought to begin my day with adoration. Well, I, I guess I do begin my day with making coffee and feeding the dogs. But because I'm in a semi-unconscious state, I don't count that as the first thing. So I just try hard not to put the dog food in the coffee maker is the goal. But as, as the, the sleep cloud fades away, so I want to begin my day with adoration. It, it's become a profound resetting of my heart and my soul. I begin every day as a selfish individual, <laughs> right? I wake up and I'm thinking about coffee, coffee yes, Right, my day, my job, my checklist, all right, right there, it's all about me. That's when I get up. And yet prayers of adoration has that way of resetting my heart and soul on the things of God. Then Nehemiah moves to prayer of confession. And I love this prayer of confession, right? He could have, this, this happened hundreds of years ago. He could have been so judgmental as I so often fall into. Boy, God, if I would have lived at that time, I would have not have disobeyed your laws. I would have been on it. Like, no. He's like, I confess our sin, the sins of my father's family. He, he's sharing in that, the, the, a godly leader. The, there's a rootedness of humility that recognizes that we're in this together, that we are all broken individuals. A godly leader is not a judgmental leader. A godly leader is one who confesses. And then he moves to a prayer that you could call a prayer of promise. What he's doing is he's quoting probably from Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 30, as I mentioned, and he's saying, God, you said if we disobeyed, you would bring us into exile. That happened. But God, you also said, that as we repented, as, I, as we turned our hearts towards you, 
You draw us together. He was claiming the promise of God to rebuild and restore. You know, there's so many promises of the Lord in Scripture that we can claim. Thinking of uh, the times of loneliness that I've had, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, I will not abandon you as orphans. That in times of my loneliness, I get to claim that promise. Say, Lord, I, I, I'm feeling all by myself. I, I, there's, there's an ache of loneliness. We get to claim the promise. We prayed about finances or basic needs or all that. You know, the Matthew 6.33, he says, it's right in that section of do not worry. And he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these other things, all the details of life, God knows you need and, and trust he will provide. We get to claim that promise of Matthew 6.33 that if we seek his kingdom, he'll provide everything we need. That's why I wanted us to pray the prayer of provision this morning. And then finally, prayer of petition. He's gonna do that. You guys know how to do that. That's right. I'm not gonna talk that. that that's important. I, I've heard people say, just I'll say one thing about that, is people say, well, my needs, they, they're too small. God, no, that's part of an intimate relationship with God. He wants us to share our needs. He wa- that's what it means to be reliant. That what it means to, to take our needs and place them before the throne of grace and say, help. I believe God is stirring, yes, our faith and our life, and it begins with heart, and it begins with prayer, and it begins by aligning our hearts with the things of God. If we're gonna do great things, for the glory of God, we've got to do them with a heart that is aligned with the Father. Let's pray. Father, I don't know if I've ever prayed that prayer of disturb us. But there's something right about praying that prayer. Lord, if we are too comfortable, if we are too self-focused, if we are too distracted, if our hearts are indeed out of alignment with you, would you disturb us, Lord? Lord, would you realign our hearts according to the measure of faith that you had given us? Lord, grow our faith. 
grow our longing for your kingdom. Grow our longing to see your work in this world, in this nation, in this community, in this church, Lord. Grow our longing. Lord, teach us to allow our hearts to be broken for the things of you, Lord God. So as we come to the table, Lord God, would we reflect on your great sacrifice? Jesus, not because you were self-focused, not because you did this in your own will, but because you submitted to the will, the kingdom of the Father. Amen. Do uh, intinction, which is we have four stations for each section at the appropriate time if you would exit your section to your right. And you take a little bit of the, the, the bread or the cracker and you dip it into the cup and then you take it at the station and then return to your seat back there. And I would encourage you, if there's someone that you see that you think would be in need of prayer, would you, would you ask them and offer a prayer for them? If there's a sense that you need something to be prayed for, would you ask someone, would you pray for me? Just to allow a time of ministry together as the body of Christ. If the elders would like to come forward, it was the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took the bread, he gave thanks, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in a similar way, after supper, he took the cup and he talked about a new covenant, a new relationship. And in that new relationship, he said, we get to know our father's business. We get to know the family business and participate in the things of the kingdom. That's part of the new covenant. That's part of the new relationship that he has for us. So take this cup, drink, and do this in remembrance of me. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, The feast is ready. Would you come and partake?